and welcome to Catching Up David. Hello. <laughs> David, that's your cue. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? <laughs> and today we are proud to bring you two, two, two podcasts in one. I am one of your co-hosts normally of the podcast, Did You Do Your Homework, uh, Martha Sullivan, and I am here, as always, with my other co-host of that particular show. <laughs> uh, I'm the other co-host of Did You Do Your Homework, Pete Romberg, and uh, you can all tell that we have definitely not rehearsed this, so <laughs> it's going to be great. We're doing it live. <laughs> and I'm David from Catching Up David, and with me are Hallie and Kristen. Hello, Hallie. Hello, David. Hello, Kristen. Hello, David, and Martha, and Pete. Well, I was going to say hello after you did your bit, like, to everybody, and then... You snooze, you lose. My bit was better, though, because I waited. Patience is key. Patience didn't get you anywhere, so carry on. (laughs) Hello to all of you. Hello, Pete. (laughs) Hello, David. (laughs) Hello, Martha. Is this a good night (laughs) in Bob's situation? (laughs) I Uh, We are uh, extremely excited to bring you the first gigantic crossover multi-podcast event, certainly for our show, and I think for also for Catching Up David? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But we are going to be talking about Trilogy Enders uh, in the spirit of Catching Up David, who has never seen Return of the King before. (laughs) Um, People from Catching Up David, what's the story with Catching Up David? What's, What's that podcast about? Listen, just because that was better than whatever I just said. (laughs) Uh, Catching up David really focuses on how David is inadequate as a person, but mostly as a pop culture. I don't even want to say, yeah, consumer. There we go. Like he doesn't, I mean, I'll let David tell his own story too. I just wanted to dunk on him before he got the chance to say anything. Fair. No, no, that's about right. (laughs) I spent the first 30 some odd years of my life not seeing much pop culture anything television movies i just missed out on all of it and i decided that it's been it's been a long enough time that there are some things that i should really just see and so i got Kristen and hallie who both love movies and have seen everything and are great and funny and smart to talk to and they catch me up on all of the things that I've missed so far. Now, I have a quick question before Pete and I explain what Did You Do Your Homework's deal is. Something that I have kind of been wondering as I've been listening to your show, were these things that you you missed just because you weren't super interested in movies? Or, like, how... I mean, some of the things that you guys have watched I would have considered as just, like ubiquitous and i'm just wondering if it's because you didn't have an interest in like movies or pop culture or whatever i'm not i'm not trying to like put you on blast i'm just honestly kind of curious about how you missed some of the things that you guys have discussed putting david on blast is the whole (laughs) (laughs) that's our i guess his his name is in the title so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes some of it was a lack of interest i spent a long time of my life being kind of a hipster and mostly Pete has being no idea you know, what that's about i'm high-fiving <laughs> you over the internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah most of the things that i was into um they're either like 70s kind of 
really earnest Arnold Schwarzenegger style action movies or they're super artsy like French films that you know criterion collection kind of stuff so you'd like you're watching those things yeah yeah so between watching that and being in art school for most of my life at this point a lot of the pop culture stuff kind of slipped under the radar or were things that i picked up on enough listening to other people talk about it but it wasn't a thing that i ever felt like i especially needed to experience for myself and over the past few years, I've felt more like, you know, I really should know what Moana, which is going to be our next movie. Oh. I should know what Moana is about. <laughs> I should know what Twilight's about. I should experience these things for myself. So this podcast was a, a great way to really get myself out there and see what the world has to offer. Love it. Nice. Um, well, at Did You Do Your Homework? We connect popular ideas with or popular culture with academic ideas. There's a reason we <laughs> write this down on the top of our note stock because <laughs> neither really, of us can really do it is. off the top of our head. <laughs> it is the elevator pitch for our show and we can't do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so on a, on a normal episode of Did You Do Ho- Your Homework, we pick a theme and then we each pick a piece of media that we feel is representative of that theme. And then we get into like details of each piece individually and then kind of how they are reflective of each other or any ideas that you can kind of trace a, a through line through. So I'm, I'm very excited. We've done a couple of sort of blockbuster oriented episodes but we have not done a trilogy focused episode so this will be a new and exciting reason or a new and exciting excuse for me to rewatch all of the lord of the rings movies (laughs) uh that's what i did when uh quarantine started so full disclosure i watched return of the king in march and did not watch it for this like within the past week because that's a long movie to watch twice in one year no that's totally reasonable (laughs) But also definitely did a weekend of only watching Lord of the Rings back when quarantine started. And we thought it would just be a couple months. Oh, God, remember that. And now we're on the sixth month. With no end in sight. Uh, But before we get into our kind of main events, Pete and I usually like to start our episodes just by talking about, like, something in pop culture that we've been enjoying just to kind of get our discussion flowing and also as a chance to be excited about, you know, a a chance to to talk about the stuff that we're excited about. So, Pete, why don't you start? (laughs) I thought you were going to throw that to me. (laughs) (laughs) But what's stuck in your head this week, Pete? So yesterday I got quasi-randomly invited to a new D&D game. Um, I say quasi-randomly because I had been talking with the, the DM who's planning on starting it like a month ago, and then forgot that we had had that conversation. I am currently DMing my own game, and I'm a forever DM, so anytime I'm able to actually be a player, I am aesthetic and jumped at the chance. He, uh, This other DM is planning to run a game in the Eberron world, which is, there are many various books and stuff in, in D&D. Eberron is one of the worlds you can play in. It's a, a world that I played in in college. Uh, had a lot of, like, I remember those games very fondly, and you know, since I got that text from him yesterday, I've been uh, immersing myself in the new rule book and rules for um, Eberron in D&D, and I'm really looking forward to playing this. So I hope it actually happens. Nerd. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You have a Tuesday <laughs> D&D night anyway, Pathfinder, whatever. 
Yeah, I'm running Humblewood right now. Mm -hmm. So not only are we playing D&D, but we are all small woodland creatures <laughs> playing D&D. It's adorable. adorable. <laughs> yes. Hallie, do you have something in pop culture right now that you're really excited about? I'm actually going to piggyback off of both of you because I am starting a new game with some friends. <laughs> That yeah. is a D and D. Well, it's not. It's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's called The Strange. Hmm. Um, it's mostly. I do an actual play podcast as well as catching up David called Quest Friends. So I know the whole gaming tabletop gaming drill. Um, but this is like a chill, casual game, and I haven't had one of those in a very long time. So I'm very excited to be able to like eat pizza while we play <laughs> and like do other stuff like that. It's going to be so much fun. But in The Strange, you basically world hop. Like the base is Earth. But then when you uh, translate to different recursions, those are all based off of like, well, they can be based off of anything. There's like a fantasy world, there's a sci-fi world, ETC. But because of who we are as people, we just make them like worlds that we like Kingdom Hearts style. <laughs> so like one of us was like, we want over the garden wall world. And another one yes. was that oh. yeah, love over the garden wall. We're going to have like a creepy colonial forest for one of them. Yeah, um, pumpkin village. Yes, exactly. Love the pumpkin village. Just played Persona, so there were a lot of like Persona-esque requests for like a fun mindscape palace world. Um, so you could say a lot of things are bouncing around my head because of the strange. But if anybody listening is interested in tabletop gaming, all the things that we just listed are super cool, and you should look them up. I'm googling it right now because I think my husband would be super into this whole deal. Yeah. Oh, it's super cool. He should. Same. Also, I had not thought that it's like, yeah, when I play D&D, &D, obviously we're all like, we're, we're, now that it's pandemic times and it's all roll 20, we're not like snacking per se, but we're all drinking and leaving for a moment and coming back and, you know, all the rest of it. But I guess you can't do that on an actual play podcast. No, we cannot. It, it, it's, it's, it's different when you're at a casual game and you can just <laughs> mute yourself or be like, bye, yeah, catch yeah. me up when I come back. Right. And then the catch-ups are also super fun, too, because someone's like, oh, I murdered this person in the two minutes you've been gone. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen, do you have something in pop culture that you're really excited about right now? Uh, this one, actually, I'm a little bit behind on, because I'm actually finally getting around to reading the Grisha trilogy by Leigh Bardugo. <gasps> and, yeah, because I read her Six of Crows series, and I thought that was so fun. And then they announced that a Netflix show is coming around, and it seems like it sort of has crossover between the Grisha trilogy and the Six of Crows world. And I obviously didn't know any of the Grisha characters, so I'm like, okay, well, may as well dive on in right now. So I have read the first two, I'm halfway through the third, and something unsavory has happened to a, a character that I'm quite fond of, and so part of me is a little bit sad to be doing this recording, not because I don't want to talk to you guys, but because I'm like, listen, something unsavory has happened to a character I like, and I need to know if they get out of it, and I can't. The so, problem I'm is... So I'm a little bit uh, behind on that one because those books are a while old. I don't know exactly when they were released, but I figure it also ties into something fairly current because of the upcoming Netflix show. Yeah, the problem is Leigh Bardugo doesn't care about our feelings. <laughs> yeah, that's... We will see how it goes. I'm optimistic, but cautiously so with an understanding that I could become very sad very soon. Yeah, my understanding of the Netflix show is that they're doing sort of a braided narrative, like with the, oh. um, the smoke and 
not smoking the, bone. The That's different. Yeah, with the Six of Crows books and then the Grisha trilogy sort of interwoven. Okay. Because the, the Grisha verse, yeah, the Grisha trilogy takes place like hundreds of years before Six of Crows. I was going to say, I was pretty sure it took place before just based on context clues of reading, but I couldn't remember because it has been a while since I've read Six of Crows. So I couldn't remember any of their previous comments on like the Ravkin War and when that happened in relation to where in time those mm -hmm. characters were now. So I didn't know it was like hundreds of years. I was kind of guessing um, like decades, like maybe between 50 to 150. But more than that is... Yeah, I, th I, think it's a, I think it's a chunk of time. Okay. I will look it up, but everything... It's, it's also the hard thing right now because I want to just dive into the world and look up all the fan art and all the Tumblr edits, but I can't for fear of being spoiled. So I will do a deep dive into that once I finish this. Excellent. Yeah, I love those books. Yeah. They're so fun. I'm having a great time. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. How about you, David? Is there anything you are particularly excited about in the world of pop culture right now? The one thing that has been stuck in my head over the past week or so has been Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. Heck yeah. Which, um, <laughs> Great album. I should, I should note that um, as kind of a Luddite, I don't have a smartphone, so I don't have access to Spotify or anything like that. And the CD player in my car broke. So oh, no. for the past several months, I've been listening to the radio, which is something that I previously avoided at all costs. <laughs> um, but it's given me a new appreciation for sort of classical rock. And are you if, assuming you're in Chicago, you're either doing XRT or what, 97.1? Whatever the loop is. Uh, definitely a lot of XRT. Um, the River, which is a, a local, like, suburban station. There's two others. I have, I have four in my rotation. XRT is great, but the other ones play a lot more, like, classical kind of hard rock sort of stuff. So, but I, I recently sat down with the, the lyrics to Born to Run, the, the actual song, and man they are incredible he is just an incredible writer which i never really appreciated before i i've never gotten into springsteen which makes me feel like i'm finally like officially over the hill and getting old now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was sort of somebody had tweeted about the lyrics on on twitter and i and i looked at them and he's he's just a very good writer which um, I hadn't realized before. I've also really gotten into Fleetwood Mac, which was w one Evergreen. of those. Evergreen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, one of those bands that I knew a, a couple songs by, but I hadn't, you know, sat down and listened to the way that one sits down and listens to music in the car. At least I do. Like, that's where I get most of my music. Sure. You throw is... a CD on and then you listen to 45 minutes of that band's CD. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm able to pay attention to it a lot more driving which is kind of an idle task maybe it shouldn't be an idle task but my my brain latches onto it a lot better when i'm in the car so being able to do that with springsteen and fleetwood mac and like some of these other bands um 
Van Halen whenever Panama comes on. It's always like a new revelation, like how great this song is. <laughs> but yeah, classic rock. That's the that's the thing that has been stuck in my head for the past week. I I am a huge Springsteen fan, and I have been since I was you know since before Martha met me in high school. So uh, it's not just getting old, although it might be getting old. Uh, but like the the album Born to Run and Fleetwood Mac's album Rumors are not. Uh, like they're not greatest hits albums in the sense that they're all original songs but both of those albums are literally greatest hits albums in the sense that you pick any song off it and everyone will know it and everyone will love it and it's one of the best songs like you know in their discography yeah rumors is just so good because it's it's such an interesting experience to watch a feud play out like in real Within time, a, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. a, a coke-powered love collapse, like collapse of a couple yeah. romantic relationships. Like, oh, yeah. you guys all kind of hated each other at this point. <laughs> well, as for me, I function best in this quarantine situation when I have a very good, lightly dramatized historical TV show to watch. Uh, so I've been watching Black Sails. And it's great. <laughs> I have not heard of Black Sails. What's that? Black Sails is a lightly fictionalized uh, TV show about the age of piracy. Ooh. It is sort of a Treasure Island prequel. So one of our main characters is John Silver and Billy Bones and a couple of people that we all know from the book. Um, my, my understanding it, is that it's a heavily fictionalized. Yeah, I mean, like... Characters like Anne Bonny show up. Um, sure. How how realistic their depictions are is probably not very, because it's also a very, very soapy, um, kind of like Unto Game of Thrones. But it's great. Uh, one of my favorite parts about it is that it shows you all of the, like, math and voting and logistics of being a pirate. And it's, like, I think... I think the the our main crew doesn't actually do any real piracy on screen until like the fifth episode. <laughs> um, but yes, it's on Hulu, uh, and it features a lot of really attractive people being like really sweaty and dirty all the time because they're pirates. But they all have really good teeth, um, which right, is that's I don't. I don't understand when people are like, I want these pirates to be authentic. I want bad teeth. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to look at bad teeth. I don't <laughs> really. to let yeah. the actors and actresses have good teeth yeah. as pirates. Right. You, you hire agree. attractive people to be attractive. Make, smudge them up Hollywood style, but don't like right? actually break their teeth or anything. Exactly. But yeah, the story of it, it takes place mostly on Nassau in the Caribbean. And it's about a crew of pirates and their efforts. The first season is about their efforts to locate and uh, take down a Spanish treasure ship. Uh, so we have the story about the uh, Captain Flint and his crew, and then also the people running Nassau and keeping it in business, and you know all of the little soap opera e type side plots that are happening around there. It's very entertaining and. Yeah, like I said, I love a good historical drama. It sounds like fun. I will have to add it to my watch list. It is a little bit um, racy. Yeah, there, there's a lot of there are a lot of naked people in it. 
and a lot of people get shot in really brutal ways because they're all using flintlock pistols but it's still still less gory and sexy i think than game of thrones so if that's your barometer then it still falls less uh, it still falls under that i think i have never watched game of thrones so that still doesn't mean too much to me but i i appreciate the heads up though for potential nudity and violence it does have a wide variety of excellent female characters, which I appreciate. Yeah. That sounds great. That's always nice. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. Like I said, I will have to add it because that does sound really interesting. Well, and especially because you and I were briefly connecting about Treasure Planet on Twitter God, the other I day. I love Treasure Planet. Which is such so an good. underrated Disney movie. <laughs> Deeply underrated. It deserves far more love than it gets. Agreed. You know, plans to watch Treasure Planet because it's an underrated Disney movie, but like the people I was talking about it with like didn't remember it at all. They were just like, what? I was so thinking what? about Treasure Planet for no reason. So that's on our list because we're all pretty sure it's an underrated Disney movie. Hard but agree. Apparently they, they modeled the art after uh, Mike Mignola who did Hellboy and they like showed him an early screening of it and he's like those hands look really familiar. And they're like, yeah, they're your hands. <laughs> like we, <laughs> we, we drew it in your style, Mike. That's why it so, looks real familiar. So this is a true story. However, Pete is getting the movie wrong that it is in reference to. That, that happened with, no, that was Atlantis, the Lost Empire. I am totally thinking of Atlantis. <laughs> which is also a highly underrated Disney film. Yeah. I have not seen it since it came out. So I was a, I was a wee child. And I need to watch that again because I feel like it probably would be in the same vein as Treasure Planet and it would quickly become a favorite. I agree. Or yes, I I think that that is correct. I watched it the other weekend and it's excellent. But yeah, Pete, you can definitely, the, the square Mignola hands are yeah. definitely on display yeah. in that one. Oh, uh, you, you just said that you had also recently watched and tweeted about Atlantis? Yes. Good. That makes me feel a lot better about confusing the two. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I use Disney Plus for. Other people are watching Mulan and stuff, and I'm like, no, Hercules. So um, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into David's first experience watching The L Return of the King. And welcome back to Catching Up Your Homework. So Return of the King is the first of the two movies that we watched for today, the other one being Return of the Jedi. Return of the King is a 2003 epic fantasy adventure film directed by Peter Jackson. It's based on the third volume of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, first published in 1955, and it stars Elijah Woods, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, and Kate Blanchett. Usually on Catching Up David, I talk about how many of these people that I recognized or didn't. It was about half of them this time, if for no other reason that I saw six hours of movie previous to this one that had them all in it. <laughs> Hopefully you uh, recognized Elijah Wood. 
<laughs> by that point. I I do think I could pick Elijah Woods out of a crowd. Um, I'm not really sure who Liv Tyler or Sean Aspen are, and I feel like I should know who Vigo Mortensen is, but I really I don't know that outside of Lord of the Rings, I could be like, oh yeah, that's Vigo Mortensen. Well, but I think the rest of them, the rest of them, I think I could actually identify though. Ian McKellen for sure. Right. Orlando Bloom. You having might... previously watched Pirates of the Caribbean. Orlando Bloom, I think I could. But do. he changed his hair, David. You're so bad at he recognizing he, people he looks, when they he looks, their hair. He looks nothing like Orlando Bloom from Pirates. It's true. That's true. I. But well, I did know also... that he was Legolas. So. The just thing is, also, I, I, I'm certain that Martha and I are about to trip over each other to say the same thing. So, Martha, you take it. Uh, Vigo Mortensen yes. outside of Lord of the Rings is unidentifiable. <laughs> he looks when he is clean and shaven. He looks like a completely different, less attractive person. Well, I, I would say uh, um, you might, you may or may not recognize him from Eastern Promises, which is enough of an art film that maybe you were watching it back when it came out. Uh, but there he plays like a member of the Russian mob and is very different. Yeah. Okay, I've heard of Eastern Promises. That is one that I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do have a problem that if people change their hairstyle or are wearing slightly different makeup, I just I, I can't recognize them at all. They look completely different to and me. And everyone in this movie is wearing a wig. So you are just totally out of luck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not not going to happen. Also, Liv some of Tyler. them are wearing fake noses. Wait, who's Who? wearing a fake nose? Oh, Ian McKellen. Really? You know, I didn't even recognize it. I have to look yeah. again now. Why is he wearing a fake... Why? I don't know. I just know that his, <laughs> like, the, the prosthetic nose was, like, a thing while they were filming. Huh. He went through a certain number of them per day. Martha gets a point. <laughs> oh, Martha gets a point. I have earned a point. You a point. You've earned a point. Yeah. What you can I what can I cash them in for? Oh, um, we don't honor and respect. We should have like an official Fantastic. So many points equal something. We don't though. We you just get, get 70 points. points and you get a pencil. I'm telling you guys, these <laughs> movies were my life when I was in high school. Sometimes I wonder what I don't remember because my brain is full of useless Lord of the Rings trivia. <laughs> I really want to know how many prosthetic noses Ian McKellen went through over the course of filming three movies. Oh, hundreds, maybe thousands. I need the yeah. exact number. I wish, I wish, I wish somebody had kept a tally. That is the sort of trivia I am interested in. Like someone's sure like, "Wow, can... day seventy-nine, and Ian has already gone through forty-seven prosthetic noses." It is nine a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Screen Rant doesn't tell me how many he went through, but they do say that the reason for it to do Ian McKellen's actual nose would have been perfectly fine. However, when the makeup department added his beard and hair, his real nose looked minute in comparison. Oh. Oh. To balance things out, McKellen was asked to wear a prosthetic nose. Okay. That gotcha. makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Thank you, Martha. You're welcome. Christopher Lee as Saruman also had to wear a prosthetic nose. Presumably for the same reason. Yeah. Also, like, Christopher Lee Christopher wasn't particularly in this in this movie, but I do know Christopher Lee. Well, and and yeah. here's the question that I was asking during the break: Did we watch the extended edition or the regular edition? Because Christopher Lee is just straight up not in the regular edition, um, but he's in the beginning of the extended edition. 
I watched the extended edition because that's the version my dad has, and I grudgingly watched it because I was thinking, you know what, this is a long movie, I started it kind of late, I'm going to watch the theatrical release, and it does not give you the option to watch the theatrical release, so extended edition it was for me. Yeah, you were like, three and a half hours, that's not nearly enough hours, I need four hours. (laughs) Please, go bigger, go home, why not stay up till 1am? Yeah, I watched the extended edition of Fellowship and the theatrical edition of the other two because that's what the public library had. So that's what I got. That's fair. I am going to take the bold stance and say that I think the only one for which it matters is the two towers. No, I think it matters for <laughs> ROTK, for, for Return of the King as well. Because you have... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of us have four hours to spend watching I mean, a movie, Pete. <laughs> I'm also the first one to acknowledge that four hours is a very long time. It it was a lot long. Like, it feels like I spent five hours watching it because I would, like, pause to, like, go to the bathroom yeah. and, like, get snacks when... and do other things, like put away laundry and stuff <laughs> while I was watching. So it felt like a lot longer, but I also can't imagine that movie being any shorter. Like, everything in it to me felt... Like, it added something. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine Saruman not being in Return of the King. Yeah, they just cut that out entirely. Which, like, if, if you're going to cut... It, it's like, well, you might as well cut him all out if you're going to cut a little bit out, I guess. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, that makes sense. Like When when like, I watched... I, I watched all three of these back when quarantine kicked in. Um, and we definitely spaced it out as we watched Fellowship in Two Towers on Saturday and then went to sleep. And then woke up the next day and watched Return yeah. of the King. <laughs> so much. Because we were smart and knew that that was the correct way to divvy it up. They frequently become my I'm homesick movies because I can watch them and then like fall asleep and wake up and know exactly what's happening mm-hmm. wherever I wherever I have woken up. And you can almost be guaranteed it'll still be playing when you wake up. Correct. <laughs> Instead of it having finished while you fall, while you fall asleep. Yeah, the only rough part is that only Fellowship is on Netflix, I think. And even though we own them all, when you're sick, getting up to change the DVD and the DVD player is a lot of work. Should David be giving a synopsis at this point that we have totally run roughshod over? Oh, we do that to him all the time. When he he tries to give his synopsis. (laughs) Yeah, I can do that right now. In case it's been a while since you've seen it, Return of the King is the final part of the story of Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee as they journey into Mordor to destroy the final ring of power. Their food secretly sabotaged by Gollum, Frodo grows angry with Sam, who he thinks ate the rest of their provisions, and sends him home. Gollum leads Frodo into the lair of Shelob, the giant horrible spider who I hated, where Frodo is poisoned before being saved by Sam. Meanwhile, Aragorn and the rest of the Fellowship plots to march on the Black Gates of Mordor itself to provide one final distraction for Frodo to destroy the ring for good. A ghost army, a witch king, and a flock of giant eagles to save the day. Return of the king. (laughs) I'm fascinated by what you chose to detail there and what you chose to just gloss over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I could... Detail I could continue summarizing, but... No, it's, no, it's fine. <laughs> Wait, are, are, just, are you implying a lot we, happens in this movie? <laughs> we had to talk about Shelob, but 
not anything about Rohan or <laughs> the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Gondor. Shalob had a much more profound effect on me, I suppose. <laughs> I have recently learned that spiders are a big enough phobia of people that um, a video game company that just made a backyard simulator created a spider dial where basically mm. you can dial back the spiders until they just look like abstract blobs because people were like, if your spiders are too realistic, I'm not going to buy your game. My my wife is uh, one of her top phobias is spiders. Uh, so yes, that makes total sense to me. I would I, I wish I could have chosen to dial back the spider in Return of the King because it was it was not good. I didn't like it. And it's probably a good thing that little me did not see this in the theaters because like I can handle the orcs. I can handle the murder. That's fine. But you put a giant spider in front of like eight or nine year old me not having it. With like twenty eyes, it's Shelob is so good. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. and the and the and the thing with the poison, that little pointy thing. Yeah, no, hard path. Yeah, I my phobia isn't spiders so much as it is giant creatures. Mm. I had the same sort of fear of the trolls whenever the trolls showed up, and I, I think those scenes were all shot really well to make them really scary, but. Yeah, just giant, like whales. I'm not a big fan of whales. Right? They're too large. Mm. Thank you. Thank so you. They're you, too they're, big. You, you probably Kelly, didn't like the Moomakill then. The, uh, no. They're, like, like the big elephants. Too big. Too big. It's too big. Too much. Did you too think big. the trees were too big? Were you like, oh no. Scary well, no, those were fine. That's, I mean, they're that's a fairly same, regular size for trees. Yeah, for like an yeah, old Yeah, but like, that's a fairly regular size for god what was the creature we were just talking about she loved the big one the, not the spider the, Oliphant? the elephants that the muma kill no 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 tree beard the, the, the trees the trolls, the trolls? Jo yeah uh, trolls which does not begin with a g but like that's a standard <laughs> type for trolls and well, trees but, are the standard size for trees well and whales are the standard <laughs> size for whales thank you martha it's, like, it's too big no it is not Yes, it is. They're all too then big. Then why don't I, I have think... the same beef with the tree? The trees are bigger than the... whales. Yeah, but like... No, trees are... <laughs> no. On a um, tree, have you like... been to the Redwoods, Hallie? Those trees are giant. Did, did you watch the other movie we watched with really big trees in it? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean... Like, they, don't, they don't... <laughs> like... They don't move. I mean, these trees moved, and that was fine. But, like, <laughs> whales, they just, like, hang out in the deep abyss of the ocean, and I don't like it. I don't Would like... Would you rather the whales no. be stationary? <laughs> no! I, or I, on I land? Say, that way. I will say that I am absolutely on Hallie's side in that the deep abyss of space is the most terrifying thing ever, and anything that just sort yeah. of chills there is probably not trustworthy. Or Thank you. Like, Martha, I assume you mean the deep abyss of the, of the ocean, because I know you are a big fan of terrifying things living in the deep abyss of the ocean, like mermaids in that and stuff. I like, I was going to say, in that I like to read horror about it because it terrifies yeah, me. Yeah, like Mira Grant yeah. stuff or whatever her water Rolling alias is. in the deep. Yes. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, that was a bit of a tangent. Carry on. They it have was. We, we we are split between liking big things and disliking big things on this on this episode. I am I am neutral about big things. I am pro big um, things. Go big or go home. Yeah. That is how I feel about tattoos. Oh, um, yeah. Good attitude. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I spiders are whatever i've actually gotten to be much less afraid of spiders since i am now the one in my house that has to kill bugs if anyone is going to be killing bugs Mm -hmm. so i've gotten much more pragmatic about spiders and gross things that live in my house and i guess i don't know i think shaylob was just enough of a fantasy abstraction that she didn't really upset me i will say what upset me is what frodo looks like when sam pulls him out of the webbing and he has that kind of mummified like yeah. look. that that i found very very fish. bad yes very yes. bad i was talking about that with my dad because he loves these movies so he watched the last one with me and we were pointing out how how Sean Bean's brother in the movie, whose character's name I can never recall, Faramir. Yes, <laughs> how he, how he, when he was dead, quote unquote, he actually looked still alive. And it's like, you idiot old man, you can clearly see that this man is alive, but like you can easily see how Samwise thought Frodo was dead because he did not look good. That was gross. Yes, I also don't like how wet the orcs' mouths get. Yeah, like I, with all of their with all of their teeth and things. I yeah, not I, a fan. I just learned that the actors had to um, swish, I guess, licorice mouthwash because they were like orc blood, blood is black, so the mouths of the, the inside of the mouths of an orc would be black. So uh, swish around this liquish mouthwash to make your mouth black. I and have then that several makes questions. Teeth, and then that makes your teeth black, and then like everything is just gross. Yeah. Ew. It's probably licorice mouthwash designed for this movie. Like, it's probably not Listerine brand, make your mouth black <laughs> mouthwash. Like an orc. Right. So in terms of being our our final episode, how do we feel, especially since all of you guys apparently rewatched all of the movies? I did not, I confess. I just watched Return of the King. Um, how does it rank in terms of a satisfying conclusion? so satisfying very high that's my opinion that's it just so satisfying very high very good very satisfying happy hallie a A plus would bring a ring to mordor again (laughs) yeah like would do it all again (laughs) i was pretty pleased with it the biggest gold star it gets is that i was able to not almost fall asleep while watching it no disrespect to the first two. I think the movies were just too long for me and I started them too late. And so the other two, I would get distracted and I would start to fall asleep. But this one, actually, it held my attention. I didn't almost fall asleep. I wasn't checking my phone or doing other things while watching it. And I think it was a good, satisfying conclusion and bringing all the different stories and the elements that you had seen before in the other two uh, all together. And a nice little neatly wrapped package. And I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, it's a movie where you sort of know the broad strokes of what's going to happen from the start of it. Like, you know that Frodo's going to complete his quest and destroy the ring. That just is a thing that has to happen. Sauron's going to be defeated. But the process and the journey of getting there is still really exciting. And the twists and turns were all, like, really well executed. Like, I have just as many sort of mixed feelings as the Hobbits do by the very end of it. Both, like, 
hooray, the quest turned out for the best and everything is okay now. But also really sad and feeling kind of melancholy about the fact that Frodo and Gandalf are leaving the world and... You know, Sam is losing his best friend. Like, I think what makes it such an effective ending for me is that it has both those happy and sad qualities, and I always tear up during the ending, having now seen the ending twice. Like, I remember tearing up the first time, but this time, having relived through everything in such a close space of time, I was like, God, I don't want to watch this anymore. Like, but I do. Like, I would watch all this again. I would I would willingly hurt myself again to experience all of this. But I'm just like, I'm so happy for Sam at the end of it because he gets to ask out Rosie Cotton and he has a cute little family. And like the movie ends on his door. And I think that's really cute and really cool. And I really, really like that ending shot. And I can't articulate exactly why. It just feels so like homey and small and like an epic as big as this trilogy should end on something as homey and small as that it just like really gives me all the good ending feelings so this is why this is why i will go to the mat for any for against anybody that says that it has too many endings gosh dang it martha i was about to bring up the there are too many (laughs) endings there are not there are not i will fight anybody who says that any of those endings should be cut because i need all of them like yes i agree these poor hobbits have been through so much and we the audience Um, have been through so much like we have consumed by by the time we get into all the endings we've consumed like eight hour nine hours of movie we need a lot of endings to wrap up nine hours of one story and hallie i agree with you it is very important to me also that the movie ends on sam's door and with sam's family because he spends the whole movie sort of he is not the hero but he is heroic and yeah um he's he's hobbit hero he's he's the heroism that tolkien loved which is the simple heroism of the english farmer who is thrown into dire straits but makes it through and comes back world war one references yeah and unlike frodo who kind of has to be there Sam is there because of how much he loves Frodo. And one of the one of the the only bit in the book that I am sad that we don't get in the movie is that Sam also gets to go to the Undying Lands when he dies. That, um that's, because that's like in the appendices. Carried, right, that's but but like he carried the ring for a while too and it is it was always important to me that he get to be recognized for even if it was just for a little bit like he he helped carry that burden also i get very emotional talking about (laughs) sam yeah i think a lot of people do and i'm very happy that most people agree that samwise gamgee is probably the most heroic character in lord of the rings because i love him so much I, I there's a lovely moment in the end of the book a gladriel gives him a little box with um a seed and some like magic soil and at the end, before Frodo goes off uh, to the Undying Lands, Sam just sort of, like, he plants the seed where the party tree used to be, and it eventually becomes one of the, the trees of Lothlorien right there in the Shire. And then he, like, sprinkles the, the soil all over the Shire, and, like, everywhere he sprinkles it, it's, like, boom crops for, the, for all eternity, because it's magic elven soil. And, like, that's such a sweet little thing of, like, what does Sam love? He's a gardener. He wants to make he... the Shire better. He wants to make so it pretty. Wonderful. 
and I won't monopolize any more conversation about Samwise Gamgee, but I think one of the reasons Return of the King is so is such an effective ending for me is because it has the scene that I consider the most stressful scene in the trilogy and in like a lot of the movies that I have seen, which is when when Gollum has convinced Frodo that Sam ate all the bread mm. that Sam like was giving to Frodo and abstaining from earlier. Like I couldn't watch that scene the first time it was happening. I nearly left the room because I was just so Well and and doubly so Gollum is a terrible liar. So like right. I mean like, you're you're just looking at his body language like Frodo, bro. Like, this dude? I know, like, I get it. You're corrupted by the ring, ETC, ETC, but, like, oh my god. Just let Sam beat him up. Just push him over the cliff. Please, do this. I know, like, and then he makes Sam leave? Yeah. Yeah, like, it's like Sam cries against the rock, and his face is all smudged, and he curls up in his cloak, and it's just, like, so freaking sad, and it's just so stressful for me watching that scene happen. Yes. Well, so, um, uh, uh, David, this was this being your first time watching it, obviously you enjoyed it, but what was your take on it? If you have any take, my, or like your... your... My take. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I might have been talking about this over the break, but I, I did rewatch the first two as well to make sure I remembered everything that happened. And I don't know, I liked them a lot more than I thought. Like, most of what I remembered was how long that they were, but I think for... One thing, One thing that we, we haven't really, really talked about, about for, for being, being like three plus, plus hour, hour long, long movies, movies they're, they're really super, super well paced. And I, I don't know, I watched Return of the King all in one sitting. Like I, I hadn't intended to. I was going to put on like about half of it and then go to bed and then wake up and watch the rest of it. But it just time sort of got away from me. And it every moment it felt like. Like, well, I have to watch the next part now, and then I'll take a break after that. Well, now maybe one more scene. <laughs> and that just kept happening. And I think... I, I know that I, it, for, for Two Towers, at least, Peter Jackson was very aware of, like, battle fatigue, of, like, if you're just watching action scenes forever, you just don't care. So he, like, intercut all the Helm's Deep stuff with, like, all the Frodo stuff and all, like... He, he made sure that it wasn't just, like, 60 minutes of fighting. And I think he did the same thing right. here, which is probably like what you're talking about of just like, yeah, absolutely. It is really effective painting. Yeah. Having seen the end honestly makes me want to go back and watch the first two again, if that makes any sense. But even when I was super frustrated, like, God, can't these movies just be shorter? Like, I want to watch them, but I want to watch them faster than this. I, I couldn't even complain because it's not that any scene was dragging out unnecessarily long. And I couldn't think of any scenes that you could really make that much shorter because it had all been paced so well that it would feel too rushed if you did that. So I think, yes, it's a long trilogy of movies, but everything is done so well and spaced out so well that you can't really even complain about that. You can find other things to complain about, but the spacing is not one of them. I also think just visually, it has aged fantastically well. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think, I, I don't actually know what the ratio of like CGI to practical effects was. I think it, just knowing how much they did with like makeup and the fact that they were filming on location, I have to imagine that most of it is practical. I mean, a lot of it was practical, but we're still talking like every single scene has some CGI in it. It's just that instead of it being all CGI, it's like every scene is CGI, but also every scene has some practical. 
Instead of now, it'd just be like, you know, Gandalf in a green bodysuit on a green screen. And then they'd well, like Photoshop in his wizard robes, you know. I, I know that Ian McKellen, when they were filming the Hobbit movies, Ian McKellen did talk about how sad it made him that he had to film a lot of that like by himself against a green screen yeah. because I think they CGI'd a lot more of that one. Yeah. Yeah. The Hobbit was not good. less good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with not, not good. Uh, anything else we yeah. want to say about return of the King? I will say uh, going back to the, to the Sam conversation because I love him. I do also think that this movie helped because before I hit play, I was on a little tirade with my dad being like, I understand that Sam is here because he's a good person and he can leave at any moment and he chooses not to because he's a wonderful human being, hobbit being, but I I had issues with the first and the second one just in the sense that it seemed like, you know, Sam overheard loud voices, was eavesdropping, which maybe isn't great, but it seems like Gandalf was like, Frodo is the one who has to do this, and because of your tiny little crime, you are the one who is bound to help him forever. And it seemed like almost an, an abuse of Sam's good character, in that you know that if you say this to Sam, Sam's absolutely gonna do it, and he's gonna follow Frodo to the ends of the earth. Also because he cares about Frodo because they're friends. But I, I say, didn't the, like... The thing is that Sam and Frodo are in love, so... <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, um, like, also... It, he, went, he went from saying Frodo to Mr. Frodo, and then Sam did everything, and he carried like all the pots and pans, and no one else did, and there was never a moment where someone was like, hey Sam, would you like me to carry this for you? Looks heavy. And Sam said, no, I got it. And they could be like, ah, thanks Sam. It always, it, it just came across to me as almost like abusing his kindness, but in the last one, I think it really showed more of like, Sam doesn't have to be here. He was sent away by Frodo. He could do all this, but he's a good person and he wanted to help Frodo and he wanted to see this through. And so he's going. And so I was very pleased that I didn't have the same slightly bitter taste in my mouth with how they treated Sam by the end of the movie like I had with the first two. Well, yeah. I, I think part of that bitter taste comes from the fact that like it's written in 1950s england so the idea of like landed gentry and his bat boy are like it, like that's just tolkien's world view so yeah, yeah. the idea of like like yes obviously samuel follower's master into the bitter end and do whatever he wants because that's what we do step over upper lip what what um so <laughs> there's definitely some of that vibe yeah going on and as martha says uh especially less, I, I was gonna less say, in the book more in the movie I really Deeply think that you guys don't understand that I'm not being facetious <laughs> when I say that. In the book, too, though. Um, in, in the book, it scans stall, more as that, like, landed gentry. Stall for time. Just a moment. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a quote I'm about to pull out that is from the books. I just reread the books. You can read a love interest in there, but... If you read it from a 1950s English landed gentry angle, I don't think it comes across as... Romantic. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the opposite of platonic love? Like, yeah, I guess amorous love uh, as mm -hmm. we would read it now. Yeah, the other part that I don't think helps with the none of them appreciate Samwise Gamgee is that Merry and Pippin are jerks. 
<laughs> God, I love Barry and Pippin though. They are. Oh yeah. They are no, great. I do. Feel- Sam gets, I don't know, yeah, I don't want to say walked on. That feels maybe, like, a little bit too mean. But he does, he does kind of get the shaft in fellowship. Like, he's nice and he's cute. And then he has the, where he swims after Frodo. He's like, you can't, I can't swim, swim, Sam. <laughs> right. That's... Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Every time Samwise Gamgee has, like, a scene. It's adorable. But that, that that's, and... the, that's the best Sam scene ever. Because it's like, he knows he can't swim, but he's like, doesn't matter. Gonna make this oh, work. Gotta get to Frodo. Yeah. Like it's so it's so good and like i made a promise you know don't you leave him sam and i don't mean to oh. like that line is just so good and that feels that, like like that's it feels one of the ones like, that bugged me though but because gandalf is dead by that point it feels like that means even more you know dead quotation marks it it means more to sam at that point but you could also make the argument that gandalf does use everyone i know the villains especially saruman at least once try to be like gandalf uses all his friends and those he professes to love for his own purposes and i guess that's kind of right so submitted as evidence to the court direct from the book chapter 10 of i i think it's got to be return of the king my memory of the chronology of the books is a little fuzzy i i got Um, you on this one so yeah so this is um Sam rescuing Frodo from Shalab. No, from Shalab. That's the end of Two Towers in the books. All right. On the near side of him lay, gleaming on the ground, his elven blade where it had fallen useless from his grasp. Sam did not wait to wonder what was to be done or whether he was brave or loyal or filled with rage. He sprang forward with a yell and seized his master's sword in his left hand. Then he charged. No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the savage world of beasts where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. Okay. Submitted as evidence to the court. Uh, I feel like mate is used, especially in British vernacular, as like, hey, mate, that's a thing, right? It is, except that in this metaphor, we're talking about animals, in which case the word mate is usually used as breeding partner. Mm-hmm. That's true. I guess Sam just is so into Rosie Cotton the whole time that it that that precludes me against a romantic relationship between him and Frodo. But maybe I'm just boring. I don't know. See, I I don't think that those things would. Be, I don't think that those things have to be mutually exclusive. No, you particularly for someone like Sam who is like super earthy and. Yeah, in some ways, probably pretty traditional. What happens? In, what what happens in right? What happens in the trenches of World War One stays in the trenches of World War One slash Mordor. <laughs> okay, that, that not even. Mountain. Uh, just sense. let them. Just let them be polyamorous. Yeah. Right, Peter Jackson. It's fine. <laughs> last last bit on this. Uh, Molly Knox Ostertag, who is a graphic novel writer. Are you about to talk about her beautiful Sam and Frodo fic that I've yes. been reading on an archive of our own? I was going oh, to what? ask you, Martha, if you had uh, <laughs> known about her Sam and Frodo fic. Um, she, like everyone else in the world, spent quarantine rewatching Lord of the Rings at some point and went very deep down a Sam and Frodo fic uh, writing thing, which I think is ongoing. It is. It's really great. It's called All the Ways We Were. On archive of our own. I am looking it up right now and and bookmarking it. (laughs) She also has little illustrations throughout. It's so cute. It 
makes I, me cry a little bit. <laughs> I'd recommend her as a Twitter follow. I don't read her fanfic, but every now and then, like currently, uh, I'm on Twitter and I get cute pictures of Sam and Frodo instead of the otherwise like ravenous maw that is Twitter. So in the grand tradition of Did You Do Your Homework, we also watched another famous trilogy ender, Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi was released in 1983 um, and is the culmination of episodes... Get this right. Don't mess, <laughs> don't mess this up. <laughs> Four, five, and six. Huzzah! Yes! <laughs> of the original Star Wars trilogy. This was directed by Richard Markhand and written by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas and stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and a bunch of other people. After a daring yeah, like mission Billy to Billy D. Williams. Okay. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> I know he's right. But... And Peter Mayhew. And I know Peter people Mayhew. too. Yeah. Uh, after a daring mission to rescue Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, the rebels dispatched to Endor to destroy the second Death Star. Meanwhile, Luke struggles to help Darth Vader back from the dark side without falling into the Emperor's trap. Something that, just really quick, I was interested in after I rewatched this, I did not remember movie trilogies, like intentional trilogies, as being a thing or as being popularized in cinema before Star Wars. And as far as I can tell, Star Wars was kind of the first dedicated serialized trilogy to really be popular and to kind of popularize the trilogy as like a cinematic storytelling vehicle which i just thought I was really interesting i saw your tweet and i thought yeah huh, that's a really solid point because i could not think of a series before this that really did a trilogy or at least like intentionally so and we have had plenty since but this, yeah, I think you're right. Definitely kickstarted that. That being said, and I'm coming into this very hot because I also saw that tweet and then thought about it for a while. Lucas loves to say that he always wanted this to be a trilogy, but that is some flat out nonsense. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, like, no, so, like one... Star Wars was not intended to be a trilogy until it was really popular. And then he's like, oh, what if we do a second one? And we'll end on a cliffhanger. But they didn't know what the, like, they didn't plan Empire knowing no, what ROTJ so... would be. Well, yes, he did. So no, the he didn't. They didn't know if they were going to bring. Uh, they didn't know if uh, Harrison Ford was going to come back, which is why they put him in carbonite, because uh, at that point he could either die or be saved. Well, so as I understand it, the first Star Wars movie was totally sort of lightning in a yeah, yeah, lightning in a bottle, and yeah. then that one was popular enough that Lucas was like, "All right, let me script or like let me storyboard two more movies." So I don't know that he had them completely plotted out, but the popularity of the first Star Wars movie did lead to him saying, okay, let's make two more. Oh, and also, these are the middle movies in a trilogy of trilogies. Right, at that point, he he had a lot of grand ideas. But I don't think he had a plot idea for Jedi when he made Empire. He just knew that it would be the middle movie of three. Like, I think it was all very seat of the pants in... I guess the point that I'm trying to come around to is that we have... We have some series of movies where we have one movie and that gets popular. So they make the second movie and that is popular. Mm. And then they make a third movie. Sure, you're rocking. And then we have and then we have Star Wars, which after the first one was very popular, Lucas says, OK, let's do like books and mm -hmm. make it a trilogy. Mm -hmm. So like that kind of intentionality. Right. And yeah, so I was just I was interested by that because now the, the trilogy feels like a very standard thing particularly for 
blockbusters. Mm -hmm. And it was just interesting to me that I think that part of that reason is because Star Wars did so good. Yeah. I did not watch, I did not rewatch A New Hope. I did watch Empire Strikes Back, which I had not seen since I was like eight. Oh, what? I'm not a Star Wars person, Pete. I I always forget that. (laughs) Uh, I am a huge Star Wars person in the opposite sense of, of the catching up David idea. I first saw Jedi when I was like, I don't know, four. It's one of my earliest memories. I was like at my parents, like a friend of my parents' place, and they just got a new big screen TV with surround sound or, you know, so it was probably 27 inches because it was 1994 or whatever. And I remember being enraptured by the speeder bike chases and terrified of the emperor. And it is one of my earliest and strongest memories. Uh, And then that has carried through because I've loved Star Wars ever since. Yeah, Uh, where were the rest of us at in terms of our OG Star Wars experience? I, I watched the original trilogy also when I was very young and have seen them, I don't know, maybe every 10 years or so ever since then. So I've, I've seen them a few times. I don't know that I'm the biggest Star Wars fan, but I do really love, I love Star Wars aesthetically, like the, the original trilogy, how all the, all the costumes and the, the scenery and the, the practical effects and the painted backdrops and like I, I love the puppets big fan of the puppets yeah I, I I really love the way that it looks and sort of the I never got too much into like the extended universe and the novels and things like that I do have friends who went really deep down the Star Wars rabbit hole but I do know a little bit about the lore surrounding some of the characters and like extra like wedge one one of my college buddies is like the biggest wedge Antilles fan yeah he can fight he can fight my husband for that label (laughs) (laughs) i i too like wedge but i'm not gonna fight bill for biggest wedge fan so yeah he's super into into wedge and has told me enough times that i could probably i could probably pull some wedge facts out if i needed to but yeah so Star Wars, it, it was it was interesting watching Jedi again, um, just sort of separate from the other two. And especially I was thinking about the endings of both of them, which is something we can get into later, the endings of Jedi and Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into that later, but just tonally how different they are, considering how similar the overarching plots are of the trilogy, like confronting the great evil and destroying it and the deaths of Gollum and Vader sort of serving similar purposes and all of that, like how each of the movies reaches a very different tonal conclusion was really interesting to me. Yeah. I like to say that I didn't really get star Wars until the force awakens. Like that was the first star Wars movie I watched where I was like, Oh, now I understand. I have always been sort of an appreciator of the original trilogy without really loving them. Um, it was one of the reasons I wanted to watch Empire Strikes Back because I know that that one is widely regarded as being like the best one. I have thoughts about that. But no, it was... I'm intrigued to hear the thoughts. 
Well, mostly my thoughts are, wow, Yoda really screwed that one up, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) And also, I think it's hilarious that Han Solo spends that entire movie trying to wife Leia, and Leia is like, I got stuff to do, dude. Like, can we wait? (laughs) Can you you hold on, please? (laughs) Your car barely works. Let's pump the brakes on this one, assuming the brakes work on this car. (laughs) But yeah, he's like the kid in the back of the classroom writing her notes, being like, do you like me? Yes or yes. And she's like, dude, I can't right now. But no, I also, I was glad that I rewatched, or I was glad that I watched one of the other ones because, especially in comparison to Return of the King, it was really interesting to see how much more Star Wars feels like a serial adventure rather than one contiguous story. Like... I can see that. It felt much more episodic where I feel like um, Return of the King or yeah, the Lord of the Rings feel like one, one whole story that has like two different break points. And then each, each episode of Star Wars very apropos feels like an episode of something with like a couple overarching plot lines that get resolved. Lord of the Rings is a 10 hour movie that for practical purposes, they had to split up. This is a TV show. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, which which makes sense because uh, Lord of the Rings is a book. So obviously, and like the reason why it was published as three books was because Tolkien wrote a thousand plus page manuscript and the publishers were like, no, we can do <laughs> we can do this in three, uh, but not in one. It's just after the war. We don't have this kind of we can't do this. Um, whereas for Star Wars, Lucas was intentionally like looking at the old serials from his childhood I was going to um, say, he, he is influenced by the serial format in a lot of his works. Yeah. When, and talking about serialism, I felt that more so even than Empire, Jedi feels very serial. Like, it starts and we have a, a rollicking escape from the dungeons of the bad guy. And then we, you know, like, like that's the first act is Jabba's Palace. And then that's basically entirely divorced from the rest of the movie. I also have no concept of how long it is between Empire and It's like five Jedi. years. No, I looked it up and it said it was supposed to be like one year. Oh, I thought it was like, because Shadows of the Empire is between those two. Um, the famous N64 Which is... video game and also book. Was that part of the extended universe that got written out of canon when Disney bought Lucasfilms? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the video games got written out of canon, so... Probably. But, like, Luke has to, like, go and meditate on Tatooine for a while and build a lightsaber. You mean Dagobah? He builds a lightsaber on Tatooine in uh, the Lars's old homestead. Although that knowledge is based on old Extended Universe stuff, so that might not be true anymore. Also, that's kind of cold if he is on Tatooine for a bunch of time while Han <laughs> is just chilling in Jabba's palace. Yeah, he's gotta, you know, figure out how to break him out. I don't know. Yeah, they had a pretty complicated plan for that one. That took a very long time. Yeah. Com- complicated is generous. Okay, I guess <laughs> that's true. I just, it's funny because I watched all the Lord of the Rings movies and was like, yes, this is amazing. But during Return of the Jedi, a single two-hour film, at the beginning, I was like, hurry it up. We have been here forever. Yes. This, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is taking forever. Like, at one point, that bounty hunter comes in and he has a bomb that he's going to detonate yeah. if Jabba doesn't pay him a certain amount. And I was like, that bomb better come back and be a plot relevant thing. That better be why this is happening because otherwise I am so angry that we are dealing with something besides Han Solo right now. And it didn't come back. And I was like, this is, 
Why? Why did we waste time on this? You raise a really good point. It's infuriating that Leia doesn't get to later throw a thermal detonator at someone. Right? Like, yeah. that could have been a really cool setup for Like, something. on Endor, and even. Like, on Endor, she could be like, ah, oh, I've got this thermal detonator from when I was yeah. the bounty hunter. That could have worked. And they don't, and they don't do that. So, like, what, what was the point? What yeah. was the point of that? And then, like, everything takes, because... Sometimes you get subtitles when characters are speaking in another language, and sometimes you don't. And that you upset me. I, I was yeah. noticing just how much Huttonese they're talking in this movie, and it's nonsense. Yeah. It is so much. So much. And, like, C-3PO either spends so much time translating things when you don't, you don't need that. Just have both characters speak a different language if you really need that and use subtitles. Or have, like, a miscommunication be key to the scene. I don't know. Like, I don't, it just really got under my skin when I was watching the beginning of Return of the Jedi because I was like, I know they get him out, but why is it taking 35 minutes to do this? <laughs> so in terms of being a satisfying conclusion, this is, it's a little bit different because now we know that it's not the ultimate conclusion, but it is meant to finish off like this set of three movies do we think that it does so in a satisfying way? <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it resolves Anakin's arc very nicely. Like Luke and Anakin's arc. Like in all the stuff with the Emperor, I think that works very well. The part that the movie literally ends with like a giant party and it's a freeze frame look at camera as like fireworks are going off is hacky. But whatever, it's the early 80s. It's a movie for kids. So eh, I mean, it fine. works, you know, I yeah. just like... Like Martha, Star Wars has never really been my thing. Uh, I have I had tried to watch A New Hope independently since high school like five times, and I have never been able to get through it. Oh, whoa. I, I know. Just I know. like, is it too slow? It's too slow. I just, like, get bored after Tatooine, somehow during Tatooine, and that's at, like, the very beginning. Like, I just, and I don't know. It's never, too it's in never a new stuck hope, with me. In A New Hope, Tatooine is, like, almost 50 minutes, which is a enormous amount of its runtime. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better, and that tracks a little bit with my viewing taste, because I think 90 minutes is the perfect length for a film, unless it's Lord of the Rings. Hell <laughs> yes! Yes! Yes, thank you! 90-minute movies are the best! Like, yes! Condense it all! Platonic ideal. In and yes. out. Done. We're on the same wavelength. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, a, a, a so recurring just... theme of Did You Do Your Homework is uh, Martha hates any film over two hours. Yes! God, you're amazing. I have stuff to do. <laughs> right? I have things to do. I just want to enjoy the story and then think about it and move on with my life. Correct. Please. Condense it for me. So, like, uh, Star Wars has always kind of moved a little bit too slow for my taste. And it just, I don't know. It's not my thing. It's never really stuck with me. And I have a hard time remembering the plot of any Star Wars movie after I have watched it. Uh, which is why Return of the Jedi, for me, I was like, yeah, that worked. So I just feel like I don't really have... I don't have the credentials to be like, this was a good ending because I don't care enough about Star Wars to have as strong an opinion as I do about Return of the King. Piggybacking off of that is because I also am not a big Star Wars person. I have tried to be a Star Wars person. I did not watch episodes four, five, and six until I was a junior in college because I just didn't. I don't even know. And... My issue with Star Wars is that it seems like it does world building, but without depth. So they tell you like, oh, we're going to go to this planet and talk to this person. And here's this other language, but there's no like actual meaning behind it other than 
this planet, this person, this language, whatever. And I think describing it as episodic was very good. And I think it put a word to sort of what I had been feeling for a long time. And so I don't think that it's an unsatisfactory ending, but I can see, again, going with the episodic vibe, how at the end of it, you could just say, all is well for our heroes until next week. And then there's like some new big bad. So it it has a good ending, but it doesn't necessarily feel permanent, whereas the Lord of the Rings ending feels finite. So that's, that's a really good point, and I think it tracks well with like the the longer history of both media. Um, we were talking earlier about how like <laughs> my brain's Star Wars knowledge is based on all the old extended universe stuff from the 90s, which is now no longer canon. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's been replaced with a bunch of new content that is all post-Jedi. So like... Star Wars nerds love asking the question of, like, what comes next? So this isn't really an ending. It's just sort of a a pause. Whereas for Lord of the Rings, no Lord of the Rings nerd is writing, asterisks, of course, and Lord of the Rings nerds are doing this, uh, is writing a, like, post-Lord of the Rings stuff. They're all writing, like, pre-Lord of the Rings stuff. You know, like, anyone who wants to play in Middle-Earth is all doing it before Lord of the Rings. No one is writing what's happening in the Fourth Age, because who cares like lord of the rings ended it like return of the jedi return of the king is the end uh whereas return of the jedi just feels like a pause i bet there's some fluffy fan fiction about like aragorn and his son (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i I i'm putting a i'm putting a big asterisk next to the nobody is writing (laughs) about what's happening next and even like like tolkien in the appendices of lord of the rings wrote like what happens in the fourth age like aragorn lives for 200 years and is a great king and has a bunch of kids and then dies like whatever but it's all yeah, fine. Think, yeah, I think the other part of that may just be our cynicism as movie watchers. Or not cynicism, but like our awareness as consumers of pop culture. Like at this point, we know that Disney is going to make is going to make Star Wars movies until we all turn to dust and blow away. Mm-hmm. That's true. So yep. it's hard to think about an ending being satisfying when you know there's always going to be more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many endings, I think, now these days even when it is the end of a trilogy i think people sort of look for open doors and they say oh this thing wasn't completely resolved and they go for it and i don't think that isn't or i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i can i can have some fun with a good open ending and not having all the answers to things but Disney seems like they capitalize on that and they say, but what if we did this with this set of characters and the story continues on? So yeah, everything almost feels more like a pause than an actual ending. Well, and having an open-ended ending is different from setting up for a sequel. Like I oh, yeah. I have yeah. no problems with a well-done ending that doesn't put a bow on everything. It's when... It's when a studio is obviously like, and if this is successful, we're gonna make more. And then mm-hmm. it's like, well, no, just tell your story. The, like, the, the flip <laughs> side of that is Avengers Endgame, which I think did a great job of finishing 21 movies, even though we all know that they are going to continue to make <laughs> movies because they had announced like 80 movies already, you know, on the roster. Um, I have a lot of complicated yeah. feelings about Avengers Endgame that we could probably do a whole episode on. Great, I will pencil that in for sometime in December. <laughs> I don't dis- I don't disagree with you on that one, but part of me is like 
I feel very strongly that movies should be able to stand on their own. It, we're not. We're not. This gonna, is, we're that not is a very different episode. Yeah. <laughs> Any other comments, observations, questions? Oh, really quick. Just going back to Return of the King very fast. Three of my favorite seconds ever committed to film are in Return of the King. And they are if in the background. If you can't carry it, I'll carry you. Oh, okay. What? I thought you were going to say the if you can't oh. carry it, I'll carry you, which is a no, great No, that makes scene. me cry every single time. Yeah. Agreed. But what I'm specifically talking about is at the end of the Battle of Pelennor Fields, Aragorn is talking to somebody in the foreground, and in the background, you see a swarm of ghosts go up and over and take out one of the elephants. Yes. It's amazing. I knew exactly where you were going. You said three seconds committed to film, and I was like, it's going to be that three seconds, because right. Martha and I are apparently the same person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that scene so much. If, if, it's if, just, if it wasn't the I'll carry you, I was like, well, it's the Mooma Kill ghost scene, so yeah. Yes, it's incredible. And whoever, whoever put that, just snuck that into the background, deserves an Oscar, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> and in fact, won one. Probably. It won all of the yeah, Oscars. It, it probably got one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were enough to go around. <laughs> yeah, that was... So the, the year that I started caring about the Academy Awards was um, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Nice. Was that uh, when it was up against Chicago? Or was that Two Towers? Let's find out. Boring conversation anyway. We don't have to actually go down this road <laughs> if we don't want to. <laughs> see, it was 2000... And, so Chicago came out in 2002. That would have been Two Towers. Yes. Cool. Yeah, and we all know we all understand that when Return of the King won all of the Oscars, that it was really the whole trilogy winning all of the Oscars. Oh yeah, I definitely it would apply to everything. But I was like, like obviously I knew that Lord of the Rings had won a bunch of stuff. But but rewatching, I was like, man, I'm so glad this won a bunch of stuff because it's so good. Even like we kind of touched on makeup for something unrelated earlier, but like the oh for the pirate show that Martha's watching, Black Sails. Um. The makeup in Lord of the Rings is so good. I was admiring it constantly because it's dirty and it's grimy and it's Hollywood dirty and grimy. Like everybody still looks good, but like Viggo Mortensen is a hot man who looks hot in the entire movie, no matter how yeah. grimy he is. Yeah. No matter how greasy his hair is, how much of it is in his face. Yeah. Uh, how and sweaty every anyone looks. Like Sam's eyes sparkle no matter what. I'm happy that the people who worked so hard on all these effects and everything got rewarded for their work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I... I also do think it does a good job at, at holding up because I mean, at the beginning of fellowship, there was one moment where I was like, Oh wow. That is like blatantly green screen. Yikes. Is that how it's going to be for this whole trilogy? But I really think that that one spot was the most like, Ooh, yikes special effects moment. And everything else is still pretty top notch like it this is almost 20 years old and it stands up so good job Ugh, the 20 the 20th uh anniversary of these movies is gonna <sighs> that's gonna be a that's good gonna be a Lord. oh man i feel old kind of situation <laughs> i saw fellowship of the ring 13 times in the theaters you guys i don't oh, know that wow. i can i don't know that i can stress enough how much these movies ruined my life huh? To you. I think I only saw it eight times in the theaters, <laughs> which, yeah. <laughs> I only saw it the once, and my parents said that the orcs scared me. 
Like, every time I mention Lord of the Rings, they'll be like, oh, you didn't like those there orcs. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's probably like six or seven, so. The orcs are scary. Well, and in Fellowship, you have that one scene where all of the hobbits are hiding behind the tree while the Nazgul is, like, sniffing them out. Oh, yeah. That scene messed me up. Yeah. Uh, I know that they're not actually in the room, but when they all go into the room, they think the hobbits are in and just hold the swords above their sleeping forms. I was like, God! I hate it. That horrible. This is really brutal. That horrible, like screaming noise they make. Yeah. Ah, I think I think Lord of the Rings is very effective at their monsters and their villains. Well, and that's because like Peter Peter Jackson came out being like a schlock horror guy, so like that totally makes sense that he knows how to, like his horror beats are strong because he made like a bunch of schlocky horror movies, like low budget horror movies, so he knew how to like deliver on that and also beautiful creatures (laughs) it's a different beautiful creatures than the one based off the books um yeah it's not the it's not the 2013 ya adaptation yeah it's a based on a true crime story about yeah (laughs) it's not important (laughs) um heavenly creatures sorry my bad same day yeah close uh yeah any other thoughts observations things we wanted to cover uh, does anybody have a sam and frodo ship name okay because the only thing i, I have... about matching up the last i thought about that but then we didn't want a portmanteau and the only other thing i could think of was strawberries because do you remember the taste of strawberries mr <sighs> frodo i feel like strawberries isn't enough to stand out. I know, out it doesn't I feel, feel like you right. could do the... Like, do I want... the taste of strawberries? And that's gonna, like, stab someone in the heart. Like, but that's kind of a long tag on yeah. it. Yeah. All the phrases are too long, and all the words only feel like starting points. I was gonna say, I, I want, like, a noun and a, a noun and an adjective, and, like, one of those describes Sam, and one of those describes Frodo, and then together they make a coherent phrase. Oh, that'd be good. But I don't know that I'm clever enough to do that on demand right now. Yeah, I would need a few I days. Also... I will... Yeah, I'm... this is this is a task now. Although more than Sam and Frodo, while I was watching, because I had looked up uh, a couple things on Pinterest, I saw a very good like Legolas and Aragorn art, fan art. And Ooh. then I saw so many things with like Legolas and... Uh... Gimli? Gimli. And I'm like, wow, okay, these are fun. I can get behind this, especially because I don't think they were shown super often, which is fair. They didn't necessarily have a big enough part, but I think it's almost even more fun that the do the the tiny parts that we do get, you see the Legolas and Gimli bickering, and I'm like, okay, I I'm subscribing to this. I can look up some fanfic. Yeah, F- fanfic aside, I've always been a huge fan of the Legolas Gimli like friendship, whether it's oh, de- platonic yeah. or amorous, because like. Oh, it's great. Gimli's I'm love also... of uh, of Galadriel is incredible, and in the books is like yes. even more so, and it's so good. I'm just also aesthetically a fan of the tall and the small. <laughs> yes. Small, S M O L, small. Yes, a tall and a small. I do like. I do like that. I will say that one relationship I was like inexplicably happy for was uh, Faramir and Eowyn. Like they yeah. just they just like make eye contact across the way, looking moodily out a window, and they're just both kind of sad, and then hit it off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm into it. This feels very right and very out of nowhere, but very welcome. 
and you get maybe two scenes with them together but i really like those two scenes hard to agree they make me happy faramir this this is what i decided he looks like the love child between in the cinematic harry potter movies uh uh oh god bill weasley and remus lupin if they had a child that's faramir is bill weasley um he's a uh domino gleason yeah yeah you're right i'm not wrong yeah i know I didn't know if you guys were taking that long pause to be like, No, I'm thinking about it. I also just think that he looks a lot like Sean Bean, and I'm really impressed with the casting on that one. I'm going to be very straight with you. I had to stop and remember that David Thewlis and the guy who played Faramir are, in fact, two different people. (laughs) (laughs) Every time any news about David Thewlis casting comes up, I'm like, Faramir, not Faramir, never mind. Not Faramir. (laughs) (laughs) Lupin. Incorrect. But yes, I do the same thing. I was really worried when I was watching Fellowship that there were going to be too many long-haired, bearded, brunette men in <laughs> the trilogy. And I was just not... I, 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 It was really hard for me to tell Aragorn and Boromir apart for a little while. And That's so funny to me because their hair color feels so different to me. Well, their, their bodies feel it, different. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't I can't explain this problem that I have <laughs> other than to state that I do have it and this was one of the things that triggered it. I totally get you. Uh, but then, I am terrible with faces. So, yeah. Yeah, then Boromir died and everything was fine. I did not for Boromir. <laughs> we're like, right, cuz you were taking that hit for me, David, so that I could yeah. tell Aragorn apart. And then he had a brother who looked exactly like him. It was it was rough. But like, but Aomer's One. blonde, and he's the only other bearded like man of that of approximately that age who has a name. Right. And it's also, played oh my by God, Carl Urban by Judge Dredd no himself. No one told me that Carl Urban was in this movie. I probably would have watched this way sooner if someone had been like, Kristen, by the way, Carl Urban is in Lord of the Rings, and I'd be like, I'm gonna watch it tonight. Problem solved. <laughs> like, I literally <laughs> paused the movie and said out loud. Carl Urban is in this? And then just hit play calmly. But that was a fun, fun little surprise. I mean, I have the opposite response, which is anything I see Carl Urban in, including Judge Dredd, I'm like, Aomer! Uh. <laughs> little role reversal. Also, I did think it was kind of fun how, because I know that everyone loves Aragorn. And it's it's odd because I'm not an anti-conformist and I'm not a non-conformist, but for some reason I got it in my head that I'm like, I'm going to watch these movies. And sure, I'll like Aragorn, but I'm not going to be like, Aragorn, hard eyes emoji. But then by the end of Fellowship, when he was walking towards the orcs, like specifically the way he was walking towards the orcs, I was like, God damn it, Aragorn, you got me. Mm-hmm. Correct. Aragorn is so impressive to me because he pulls off being edgy and cool unironically. He's he's both yeah. of those things. Like it's hard to do edgy without I think it's very easy to make fun of characters who try to be brooding and edgy, but like Aragorn just pulls it off. He just is that without anybody being able to undermine him. Like he's just really cool. I think what helps um, a lot is that he's they, they cast him up in age, uh, and this was uh, they cast him properly because Viggo Mortensen was great. Uh, famously, Stuart Townsend was originally cast to play Aragorn, and and arrived on set to film a couple days of shooting at the beginning, 
And then Peter Jackson's like, actually, you're too young. Aragorn needs to be older. Because in the books, he's like 65. But like, uh-huh. as a dude in a dying, that makes him like 40. But like, right. it's like, we need an older dude. Because otherwise, you're just like, I don't know, you're a 20-year-old edgelord. Who the fuck cares? Okay, um, that is a very good move. Yeah, right. And, and also, like, like can you imagine Stuart Townsend as Aragorn? Well, I Googled him, and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need to know who that is. He's, he's famously, scare quotes, in, in uh, uh, Queen of the Damned with Aaliyah. He plays Lestat. Two sidebars. One, Pete, I hope you are making note of every time you drop a swear. I've only dropped a single swear successfully, and I did think about it because I yell at Marin all the time about how often she swears. So, Uh, Second, fun Viggo Mortensen fact. Uh, The scene in, I think it's the Two Towers, when his horse pulls him out of the river, uh, legit almost drowned. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. He also had like his tooth knocked out doing a fight scene and he was like, just glue it back in. And Peter Jackson's like, no, you need to go to a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you need actual medical treatment. Yeah. It's amazing. The, 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 yes. IMD, the IMDb trivia page for Lord of the Rings is like one of the greatest two hours of your life you'll spend. Uh, Do yeah. they talk about all of the Rohirrim and how most of the um, extras in those scenes are women? With beards on. Yes. What? Yeah. Oh, I knew that. I did know that one. Because uh, they didn't have enough I horse riders. Not. Yes, so they put out a casting call. They're like, we're in New Zealand. We should be able to find people who can ride horses. And, and a, yeah, lo- and a lot of people... women were like, we can ride horses. Like, We can ride horses. Cool, so beards. <laughs> yes. Here you go. That's amazing. God, I wish I could have been one of those horse riding female I think a lot of them ride beard. their own horses, too. That's super cool. Which makes sense. I mean, like, my take on, on the Lord of the Rings movies is that if you were a person who lived in New Zealand when it was you shooting, were, you were you in were that in movie that. somewhere. <laughs> I don't think movie. you're wrong. <laughs> one one final thought, for me at least, is thinking of other, like, trilogies, uh, and we do not need to go down any rabbit holes on this one, but I, I feel like, obviously, we're all on the page of, like, Return of the King totally landed that ship. And Jedi, because it's serialized, it's like, it kind of doesn't matter if it did or not, because we all just know... Now we just know that, like, you just pick up the next episode later, whether that be a book or the next movie or whatever. But because it's so serialized, it almost doesn't feel like it needs to necessarily end it in the same way that that Lord of the Rings needs an ending. Does that seem like a fair statement? Yeah, that feels feels fair. And I think... And, and sorry, sorry. One last thing here is like Jedi, Jedi wraps like Darth Vader's arc, right? Like the Darth and Luke story is over, but like other adventures could happen in this galaxy. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Well, knowing what I know about the next three, I, it doesn't wrap Luke's story. Okay, so after Jedi, I watched the cool parts of Last Jedi, which I love, and was just furious at the missed opportunities that was the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. But that is not this episode. That is a different show. <laughs> it is also correct. <laughs> yeah, I said this on Twitter. I will say it here. I'm really glad I made my Twitter account private before I started <laughs> tweeting about Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry, so I, cu- I cut someone off before I went into my Jedi spiel. Oh, I was just going to say that with Star Wars, for me at least, it also feels like what adds to the episodic nature is that a lot of the main plot problems in subsequent movies feel like the same plot problem. Like they blow up the Death Star in A New Hope and then they do it again in Return of the Jedi and then they do it again in The Force Awakens. And I did legitimately like The Force Awakens and I don't mean to like dunk on Star Wars for it. 
it just feels like because it's repetitive, it feels like, well, this is probably going to happen again because villains really like, like making super weapons that blow up planets. It's it, it's the Battlestar line. Everything has happened before and everything will happen again. Yeah. It's, it's like in Doctor Who. Like, you can get rid of the Daleks and the Cybermen. Mm. Doesn't matter. They're coming back. They're right. part of the show. Right. I'm sorry. Doctor Who is not a ship that I can board with you. I'll get on that TARDIS with you, though. <laughs> Thank you. We'll have fun. <laughs> um, but Doctor Who is like, it's a serialized television show. So it like, yeah. yes, we've defeated the enemy forever for now. Well, and Doctor Who is very explicitly meant to be cyclical. Like, mm-hmm. you get to the end of Doctor Who, and you just get a new Doctor. Yeah. I like it. It's fun. I haven't watched any of the new episodes, but episodes with David Tennant, top-notch. But that's, again, another story for another time. Yes, <laughs> yes. So on the next episode of Did You Do Your Homework, we are going old school. We're getting biblical. We are getting biblical. We are going to be taking a look at media inspired by and adapting the Old Testament. Um, And our homework for that is going to be the 2014 biblical blockbuster Noah and the 1998 animated musical The Prince of Egypt. I was going to riot if that wasn't on your list. I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to be like, (laughs) you're doing it wrong if that wasn't, wasn't one of the two you were watching. Uh, what can people tune in for for Catching Up David for next time? Our next episode is Moana. Yes. yes. Which, as I always give a little summary at the end, and I did that at the end of our Twilight episode, which you should also check out if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on Twilight, having never seen it before. I am actually but, very much so. Moana, yeah, Moana is a movie I know literal nothing about. I... I've I've heard of it and I know that a, a lot of my friends say it's their favorite Disney movie but I don't know a single thing about the plot so I'm going into it completely fresh and it should be a good time. What is your other Disney movie like framework? Like have, have you seen a bunch of other Disney movies or is this like one of the few other Disney movies you will be watching? So I, I grew up with Disney movies okay. so like you know Lion King, Robin Hood, like good, the good, good. like you you the, you've got the staples. I know a, a lot of the classic ones, but once I hit, you know, puberty, probably like once I was in high school. Once um, once you became an I, idiot boy teenager who was like Disney's stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Well, our, on our first episode, we made a list of all the movies that I should definitely watch, and am a fool for missing out on. And there are a lot of Disney movies on that list. Well, I very Did much you enjoyed write... your episodes on Frozen and Zootopia, so looking forward to this one. So if you want to follow us while you are waiting for new episodes... Oh, and uh, I, I guess, uh, hold oh? on, uh, when when does the next Catching Up David come out? Do you know when, when the Moana episode's dropping? We are recording it next Monday, so next Wednesday, which should be the... 16th yep 16th of september that's when you should expect it okay and you can you can find our episode on the old testament on september 23rd correct yes and if you would like to follow us while you are waiting for that you can find us on social media at dydyh podcast 
Uh, we are on t uh, Twitter and Instagram sporadically. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework? If you just plug it into the search bar, you'll get there. Uh, you can contact us with questions, comments, concerns, uh, ideas for show topics at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us individually uh, on social media. I'm at Magical Martha on Twitter and Instagram. And Pete, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000, politics and pop culture in the giant sucking void that is Twitter. And you can also catch our sister show, Love Ya, which releases on our same feed on Alternating Wednesdays, which is a show that I do with Pete's wife, Marin, where we watch a teen movie or a rom-com, and then we pick it apart. Our last episode was on the Bling Ring, and our next one will be on the rom-com Always Be My Maybe. So check us out. Spoilers, neither of you liked the Bling Ring, but it was one of the best episodes you've ever done. Thank you. I soak up praise like a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about for our compatriots over at Catching Up, David, any social media you guys want to share? Any other projects? A little less extensive social media outreach, but you can definitely find us on Twitter at Catching Up David, as well as just about anywhere you can listen to a podcast, but especially Podbean, Apple, others that I am certainly forgetting. Spotify. David, anywhere else? We're on Spotify. Yes. Yep. And our... Um... Our main feed is catchingupdavid.podbean.com. Yeah, and you can find Did You Do Your Homework? Um, our main feed is on SoundCloud because we are irresponsible podcasters. Uh, but you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, um, or your podcast aggregate of your choice. This was really fun, guys. Thank you for yeah. thank you for working with us to bring... Our listeners, this giant supersized episode. I'm so glad that you arranged this. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you for putting it together, Martha. 